Oh, if you could only see what all's going on here. Uh, <laughs> at least one kid, and I think more, maybe three kids are in our bedroom watching this on a TV and seeing if that YouTube feed is working well. I, I know that, that uh, the video quality is not as good here, but it may be because we have a bunch of uh, internet bandwidth being taken up. I also expect that the uh, sound quality has been is better with uh, with me when I speak right now for a couple of reasons, but not as good if you're watching by YouTube with the music because it, it cranks up the treble for um, speakers, but it's not as good on the on the bass. So, you know, there's not a perfect solution out there, and uh, uh, we know that. Philippians chapter two is our passage for today. Turn with me there. Philippians chapter two. It's also printed in the bulletin. We're going to begin uh, with verse 16. And as we read this, just remember this one thing. We are, well, one, we've been bouncing around through Philippians. We just went to chapter 4, now we're coming back to a passage. And Philippians chapter 2, you remember, is that, that, that central passage about Christ and his humility and how he has come into the world to not only save sinners, um, but come into the world to experience uh, some of the, 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 the difficulty in humanity that, that we experience. And so his, his example of humility, Paul presents as both the gospel and an example to us. And so this is, this is following on that call to us to serve in that way. It says, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord, that shortly I myself will come also. Let me pause there. Do you know what that sound is? It's outside. Something blowing off, like a leaf blowing. Can you close that window? Yeah. Uh, maybe turn the air down just a bit, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have thought it necessary to send you, send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, 
for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Grass withers, a flower falls, but God tells us that his word stands forever. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are thankful that you have provided this place in this time and the technology that we can meet together even to hear your word read and preached. We pray that uh, you would guide the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts. They would be established and uh, guided by your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Chapter 4 has that central passage where Paul tells the Philippian church to not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. It's one of the most well-known verses in Philippians, probably the most well-known verse in Philippians, even more than the famous hymn of chapter 2. And I mentioned when we looked at that passage a few weeks ago, that that word for anxious is the same word that Paul uses here in the passage we just read for the, the deep concern. The deep concern. The deep concern that Timothy has for the church in Philippi. The deep concern, or the, the, the deepest concern for the needs that are genuine needs. Now, in, Philipp- in chapter 4, he warns, he says, if you have deep concerns about your provisions for life, you will be guided in the wrong direction. It will, that anxiety will shape and direct your life in such a powerful way that you won't be able to live for Christ. That you will experience anxiety, that we will never find or be able to experience the peace of God that transcends our understanding. But in this case, he commends Timothy's deep concern, saying that it's well-placed. That a true disciple of Christ is deeply concerned for the well-being of Christ's brothers and sisters. The deep concern is in this passage and throughout Scripture the mark of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, isn't it interesting that he mentions two people here, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, do you know Timothy and Epaphroditus? Timothy is Paul's apprentice. He's considerably younger. That's why he says he's like a son to me and I'm like a father to him. Maybe some people didn't necessarily respect Timothy's teaching as much because he is fairly young. And then Epaphroditus is from the Philippian church, and he's been sent with this monetary gift we talked about the last couple of weeks. He's been sent with this monetary gift to Paul, who is imprisoned, not necessarily in a jail cell, but chained to Roman guards uh, in some place, not entirely sure where he is. And Epaphroditus is sent from the Philippian church with a substantial monetary gift, and he brings that gift to Paul. And Epaphroditus, while he's there, he gets sick. And word even gets back to the Philippian church that he got really sick and he was near dying. But Paul says that he's, he's relieved that God even 
had mercy not only on Epaphroditus, but on he himself, Paul, that, uh, that he was able to, to be spared, and now Epaphroditus is able to be sent back, and probably Epaphroditus is the one who's taking this letter back to the Philippian church, while Timothy is staying with Paul and caring for him while he's continuing to be in prison, and he has this, this great hope. Now, these two men, these two men are contrasted with a number of other people. A number of other people in the church says, I don't have anybody like Timothy, and even Epaphroditus, for they're all primarily concerned with their own interests and not the interest of Jesus Christ. Now that's quite an interesting thing because he separates these two from the pack. But what does he do with that? What does he do with that and even the Philippian church? That's the interesting question. So I want to look first at these two men, these true disciples, and the mark of their character that is true, deep concern for other people. For the gospel first, and also for other people. And then also consider what that means for these other people. And what it means for you and me. Now, the tough question we all have to ask ourselves is, are we genuinely concerned for other people? How is that concern lived out in our lives? Where in our lives do we give of ourselves for the service of others? Now, some people might raise a question at this point and say, well, well, Paul is concerned for our deep concern for Jesus Christ. But Jesus clarifies. He doesn't draw a dichotomy between serving him and serving others. Jesus clarifies the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 25, where he says, it's challenging you, you know, where, where, challenging his disciples and other listeners, many come to me and they say, I knew, I knew you. And Jesus says, but I never knew you. And he says, but uh, when, did you, when did you love me? When did you serve me? He says, when you serve the least of these, then you are serving loving me, caring for and loving me. And one of the most tangible ways that we can see our life worked out as Christians is when we're serving the poor. Not just the poor monetarily, but the poor in spirit. Those who are brokenhearted. Those who are also physically poor and in need. When we look on those other people and we have compassion and we allow ourselves time to love and to serve those other people, we are proving that we are genuine, true disciples of Jesus Christ. More specifically, that we're mature in our faith, in our practice. Now, just before this, I didn't read this earlier, in verse six, verse 14, he says, Do all things without grumbling, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And even before that, he talks about how uh, the call for us as Christians to... Uh, work out our salvation. It's troubling language for many of us in Reformed backgrounds who think we're saved by faith and not by works. Of course we are. But like James points out, he says, show me, uh, show me your faith, and I'll show you my faith by my works. 
For when we show that we can show compassion to those who are in need, the brokenhearted, we're showing that we have a genuine trust in the provision that God gives us, both in financial resources and in time and effort. Maybe the most difficult of all places to invest in others is the relational capital that it takes to befriend somebody who's in need. Now, I should say, when we moved to San Diego, I was involved with a number of ministries in homeless situations and in very poor and impoverished and even uh, those with mental illness. And, um, and I poured myself into that ministry probably to the extent that it, not probably, to the extent that it hurt the call that I have as a pastor to uh, teach God's word, to equip the saints, to raise up leaders. One of the things that I committed to when I was when I when I began that was that I would be relationally invested with as many people as I could. So it's one thing to take and drop a meal off to somebody who's homeless and maybe sit with them for a while. It's quite another thing to get to know that person over weeks and months and even years and continue to answer the phone when they call with some type of need. Continue to look into them when they don't call and see how they're doing to move them out of places of poverty or homelessness and into places where they have a home and see what that does. And I need to be careful when we, when we talk about these things that what I'm trying to encourage you to do doesn't become something that we are incapable of doing. That is talking about the role of uh, other Christians and, uh, and, and those who are not in a place where they are able or called, feel called to serve others yet. And how the, uh, um, the experience of many people, especially in places of loneliness, isolation, poverty, homelessness, addiction, has been that they have never experienced or rarely experienced a genuine, uh, uh, unselfish, compassionate, genuine kind of affection from, from other people. And so with the need for many people, and by the way, it's not just those who are there, most of us can put on some type of mask when we've experienced little or no affection from other people. And many people are very functional in that isolation and loneliness. But as we experience the type of genuine affection, genuine concern that Jesus promises that he gives us, and as we experience that from other people in our lives, other people who are um, in the church and, and reach out to us and we experience different things. Sorry if you're watching on YouTube. I've been looking at the other camera on Facebook here, the two different places now. And as we experience a little bit of that affection, it opens our hearts up a little bit more each time. And it takes a lot of experience before we, we get to this place, but it opens our hearts up a little bit more each time that we can experience the, the, true and the, full, the truth and the fullness of the gospel in ways that open us up to be able to genuinely love, genuinely show concern for, for other people in a way that we are able to give, able and willing to give of ourselves in, in really significant ways to, to all kinds of people around us. That's why Paul, at the end, he says, you know, he says, I don't even know where I put my Bible now in this whole thing. <laughs> it's, it's 
I got it. Thank you. He says of Epaphroditus in, in verse 30, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You see, all of us are limited in how much we can give to another person, other people. All of us are going to find what is things that we're lacking in service for other people, and we need to experience we need to experience the filling up, the filling up of those things that are lacking by each of each person in the body of Christ serving one another and giving of ourselves sacrificially. This, by the way, is the only way, it's the only way the gospel truly spreads. If you ask a lot of people, a lot of people hear the preaching of the word, they're convicted of their sin, they turn to Jesus. But most of the time, those people will fall away from the faith if they don't experience the joy of true Christian fellowship in a church community. It might last for a little while in, in parachurch communities, outside of the church, little communities. But if they don't experience that joy in a Christian community, most of the time people will fall away from the faith. What sustains genuine faith long-term is us recognizing our various calls and gifts and abilities to serve the body of Christ, living into those, realizing that there's going to be something lacking in our ability. There's going to be something that is still needed from other people, and yet something essential, essential in the call and the experience, call that we have in the experiences that we give to other people that they need to experience the fullness of faith. Paul isn't afraid to even say that there was some kind of gap, something lacking in what Jesus has done for us. Not in the sense that it is sufficient to cover all of our sins, but in the sense that Jesus has called us to be on mission for his kingdom, on mission to love other people and to proclaim the good news of the gospel not just because he loves us, he does, but because he's chosen to use us in that proclamation, in that experience of the gospel, both in word and in deed. Now, the call from this passage isn't to set travel plans. By the way, set travel plans. Amazing, Paul plans this trip, but he probably never makes it. You might even say, well, he should have said, Lord willing, I'll do this trip. By the way, if you're caught up and always feeling like you have to say, Lord willing, when you make any plans, take a deep breath and realize that Paul didn't say, Lord willing, when he was making two different plans here. And you don't have to say that every time. Of course, we need to understand that we make plans, but it's God who accomplishes them. It's not a travel plan. But understand that God plans to use our plans and our works to accomplish his amazing, important purposes. So many things in life. So if you're feeling like you don't have much to give, like your motivation is selfish, don't worry. When Jesus calls people to himself, he calls them on the basis of them recognizing that they have some need. They have some need that they are not 
being that's not being met. It's the need of community, it's the need of fellowship, it's the need of reconciliation, of forgiveness ultimately. But not just forgiveness, community and forgiveness. He doesn't appeal to them on their altruistic uh, traits. He doesn't say, if you're the person, the type of person who has a lot of compassion on other people, you need to be with the Christians because the Christians are really the ones who have the compassion for other people. No, he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. If you're sitting in the church and you feel like you're selfishly motivated, understand that Jesus is calling to you on that basis and you recognizing you need something. But then also realize that he calls us as his followers into something far greater, something far bigger. That we don't just get something from Jesus, but that we become participants. That we become, like he speaks of, uh, of Timothy. It's Timothy, right? Not Epaphroditus. I've, I'm so shaken up here now that I've forgotten what, what all is, is going on. No, it is uh, Epaphroditus. Uh, There we go. Verse 25. He calls Epaphroditus his brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. When we're called into God's service, we are called to enter into a brotherhood, a, a workplace, a, a, a labor. Think about a, a farm or a, a vineyard or something working alongside to accomplish his purposes. Even the military illustration that we are fellow soldiers fighting alongside Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus and Jesus himself in this battle, this cosmic battle, to accomplish God's purposes, and that is to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Each of us is far more than we ever thought, hoped, could imagine. And when we step into that role as Christians, we don't only, we aren't only recognized as mature, but we experience something of the fullness, the fullness of who we are called to be, the fullness of who we are made to be. And if we're not doing that, we're probably experiencing all kinds of anxieties, fears, lack of peace, pride, boastfulness, the whole gamut. Well, I had some other things I wanted to say. Um, I hope if you go away from this sermon and last week's, you don't come away overburdened, but rather refreshed, knowing that it is Jesus who has come and given us this great ability, this gift, both to give monetarily and also to give of ourselves in service to others. It is a call in all of our life, but all of our life, our, our, our work, our families, our, these are all places that are viable places where we are called to serve and to come in alongside of others 
and to and to live out this Christian life, to do the work that we're called to do isn't a selfish endeavor. It can be, but it isn't a selfish endeavor in and of itself. To do the things that our family requires to love and care for our family are, are important calls, are important places that we can love and serve. There may be a place in the community around you, in the neighborhood where you live, or in, in even in downtown and serving homeless or whatnot, where you're called to enter in to serve. There are all kinds of different places, and we shouldn't be locked into thinking, well, they're serving the right people because they're so focused on their family, or they're serving the right people because they're serving the homeless, or they're serving the right people because they're, so, they're, they're, they're working 80-hour weeks right now serving those who have infection, COVID-19 infection. Each of us has unique gifts, callings, and we are called to enter into those places, not just to have our own needs met, but to proclaim the love of Christ in word and in deed. With that, I'll, I'll stop. We need to stop We're over time. We'll have one more song after this, and I'll send us off with a uh, benediction. Um, let's see, did I, did I also have, I had the Lord's Prayer in here someplace, I think, but maybe I, maybe I skipped it. Oh, right, it was back there. Okay. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we look on the world around us that seems to be out of control some of the time, making difficult decisions in ways that we question, but we trust and we know that you are in control. We look at the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus and the Apostle Paul And we long to be like them, but know that there are so many things that stand in our way. Will you mature us? Will you humble us? Will you assure us that the gospel is true? That whether we live or die, we know that we will be with Christ and we know that you will not leave us. That in all kinds of situations... You give us opportunities to enter in in a Christ-like way to bring healing. And that you do that because you have first healed us and forgiven us of our sins. Oh Lord, we pray for peace and healing for this world, your creation, protection from this virus for your humanity. And more than anything, that we would see your word, your spirit at work in and around us and engage in that work you've called us to, that many would hear and believe the gospel during this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.